State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Stephanie Freed, Chief Marketing Officer at Fandom, about her professional journey, the power of UGC content and communities, and the state of fandom and their inaugural event. Fandom is the world's largest fan platform where fans immerse themselves in imagined worlds across entertainment and gaming. Let's begin. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Likewise, I appreciate it. We have an interesting subject that we're going to speak about today. I guess before we jump straight into it, fandom means different things to different people. But before we jump into it, Stephanie, maybe we, if you can get a bit of background about you and how you came across fandom and, and joined the team. Of course, yeah. So I started my career in marketing research. I have always been interested in consumers, how people make decisions and how companies can make the best products and services for consumers, right? And meet real needs that consumers have to grow their businesses. And so I've always wanted to help with that, both from the consumer side and, and the business side, um, because I think that the needs are aligned, right? When you when you understand what consumers want and you build the right products, you're going to have success and the consumers are going to be happy and it's good for everyone. And so I, I started there doing research for a lot of um, consumer packaged goods companies, and some financial companies. And then I had always been interested in media, went over to NBCU. And from there, I worked in media for basically the rest of my career up through fandom, working in the digital sides of the businesses at NBCU, working on certainly all of our broadcast and cable networks, the digital growth of full episode players, the Olympics, Hulu. Then I went over to Vivo, which was getting into music and how people watch music videos and um, the, you know, certainly like major consumption and nostalgia and connection with music. And then moved over to Discovery, where I worked on some, you know, really more targeted cable networks and developing a full episode video player for them as well. And then over to Condé Nast, moving into the publishing world, uh, both you know digital and print editorial across you know major longstanding brands across the world, which was also really interesting. Um, you know, I was interested in fandom because it brings together a lot of those pieces for me. Certainly, my passion and interest in, in television and music, which are big parts of our platform. Also, you know, movies and, and gaming, and I, you know, it's content that I'm personally passionate and excited about. So it's nice to work on something that you love. Certainly understanding also, you know, consumption around entertainment, what consumers are looking for. And I was really fascinated by fandom's data that they sit on top of, you know, 40 million pages of very, very deep content. These aren't pages, like one scroll of the mouse. These are pages that are a hundred scrolls of the mouse. And so there's an understanding of every single part of every TV show, movie, game, what people actually care about, the characters that they love and why, and the connections across all of those different IPs. And so I was excited to be able to provide and and drive insights out of that data as well for fandom, for advertising partners, and really use that to build better 
products for fans and experiences for fans. So I was really driven to, you know, bringing that to life and really that 360 degree experience for fans and, and turning fandom into a true fan platform. Uh, yeah. Um, fandom sounds like it's a base, like with the different communities, how do you, and how does the team manage that? It sounds like a big job. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. You know, we are very broad and very deep, which I think is pretty unique. So covering entertainment, gaming, as well as lifestyle categories, uh, we have over 250,000 different communities. Anything that really resonates with fans, we're going to have content on it. Um, it's a platform that's UGC, right? We were a spinoff from Wikipedia. And so similar to Wikipedia, you know, we have wikis. They are more focused on the imagined world versus the real people who play the characters. So the characters are the core, right? And the storylines are the core and they're, they're real worlds within these communities. And it's the fans who are building the content, the content, the lore, et cetera, on the pages. And so we have a lot of people who contribute across the world every day, every minute, every second to these communities because they're passionate about making sure that they're represented accurately for other fans, which is really great. And so that's how you know our content builds and grows is through fan interest and passion and then other fans come and they consume it and maybe edit it as well but that's how we're able to cover such broad swaths it's because there's passion in all of those areas and those passionate fans contribute and create what would you say now in terms of community management and managing you just see content for 2021 2022 that has evolved in the past couple of years that our audience should be aware of in a particular for publishing space, it was very much advocated to scale content. Now, a lot of people are cutting back on that. And how can publishers incorporate that to develop more UGC? Yeah. So, you know, our, our communities that, you know, we have a, a community team that works with the community admins and editors to really help and support them as we develop our products and services they're a very big part of that. Um, we work with them really closely to understand what would help them bring the shows, movies, games they love to life um, in a better way. Um, and so we work really closely with them. I think that's really important is to understand, you know, your creators and contributors and, and what they're looking for in terms of, you know, not just and I think there's a lot of organizations that, that lean into, you know, helping with marketing and with growth, but also actually like the product and the platform itself and the development of those tools and features. Um, because the, the more, you know, the easier it is and the more fun it is, the more time they're going to spend and engage with the platform, contribute more, fans are getting more. And so, you know, it's all positive. You know, I think we've also done a lot to put manage guidelines, trust and safety guidelines in place, for example, to ensure that the content is safe, that the content is accurate, that, that you know, we know how to deal with changes in characters, you know, gender identities, um, and that we do that in a way that, you know, people 
all people can feel like they belong on the platform. So that's that's a very big initiative for us that we think is very important um, to keep fans engaged and, and safe. I think that's, you know, obviously a lot of platforms are dealing with that today and the trolling and we we do a lot and we put a lot of guidelines in place and a lot of tools in place to, to make sure that we can keep the platform safe, you know, for all, which I think is important. Given that there's a lot of communities on the website, how are they discoverable and how do you make them discoverable to new potential members to organically grow? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, one of, you know, the things about fandom is that fandom, most of our traffic comes from search from Google. And that's because we have such incredible depth that when someone searches for Luke Skywalker, for example, fandom's going to be the first search result because Google recognizes us as the authority on Luke Skywalker, right? We have the deepest, most accurate data. You're most likely to get the answers that you're looking for coming to fandom. And that's why we continue to be number one. Um, but what that also means is that a lot of people aren't typing in fandom.com and they're not coming to our platform because, you know, right now fandom is top of mind from a brand perspective to meet that need. Yeah. And so that means that there's extra work for us to do to let them know that there's other ways that they can engage. There's other communities that they can visit and there's other things that they're going to want to do with us around their fandom and keep coming back. And so we've been working a lot on that, on driving engagement, on driving discovery on the platform so that, um, and, and that's really a combination of, Certainly, you know, our UI UX and making sure that it's clear to consumers within the flow of their visit, what else is available, but we also need to make that relevant to them, right? We need to make sure that we are not showing someone in Star Wars something about Pokemon. That might not even be a good example if I listen to data, but that, you know, we're showing them something that we know from our data and through, you know, millions of different data points and interactions that we can see what they're most likely going to want to do next and continue their journey for them. And that's a big initiative for us. Certainly we've been building our data and we brought in a data team in 2021 and 2022, we're going to be doing a lot more around discovery, recirculation on the platform and fan identity overall to really super see, super serve the needs that they might not even know that they have when they come to our platform. Would you consider Reddit and those type of communities as competitors, not competitors, but would you consider them as someone that's trying to own the space that you guys are in? I don't think so. I mean, certainly there's some areas of overlap and actually we get a fair amount of traffic from Reddit too, believe it or not. And I think that's because we're very complimentary. You know, Reddit is definitely broader, right? People are having discussions on Reddit that are you know, about what car they should buy and, you know, restaurant recommendations, things that, that we don't do, right? We are definitely very focused in on the fan space and entertainment and gaming. So I think, you know, that's one area of difference. Reddit is also opinion and perspective um, comes to bear more there, right? And kind of live and some asynchronous, certainly like discussions and questions and sometimes criticisms. Our platform is really about the facts and the canon, right? So this is where you learn 
um, you learn about, you know, every detail of every character of every episode on our platform, which is very different from what Reddit provides. I don't think Reddit, you know, and maybe they do, but, uh, you know, probably doesn't define themselves as also educating, you know, and information for fans. It's more about discussion or, you know, reviewing something or, you know, and we, we certainly do have some of that take place on our platform because we have fans and some of them talk about it. But I think the tone of the discussions is a bit different because usually it's trying to get to the bottom of, you know, specific questions, relationships, et cetera, as opposed to more opinion oriented content. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. I guess one of the things I wanted to also speak to you about was about the recent event that Fandom had recently, which was about the state of Fandom. Are you able to briefly summarize about how the event went and how that's typically going? Because it, this wasn't like the first one from my understanding. This was the third inaugural event. So yeah, how did, how did it go? Yeah, it went really well. Um, it was it was the third event. Our first event that we did was pre-COVID. It was live in person. And then the second and third have both been virtual. And I think it's interesting because I was just reflecting on this. You think of in-person events is being very difficult to put on, right? There's a lot of bits and pieces and planning and you're planning for six months and you, you know, you, you need to make sure that, you know, the seating is all there and you have food and beverage and you have, you know, exciting speakers and they come on the stage, all, you know, all of those things. And, and there's a lot of planning, but I've actually realized through this process that planning a virtual event is actually much more labor intensive. Number one, because I think, there's even more pressure to stand out and make it unique right now uh, because there are so many events, right? And because kind of the cost of entry in general for events has gone down. So there's more people considering more, you know, conferences and events digitally than ever before. And so you really have to have something fun and unique to attract an audience. So I think there's more pressure to create something that's really exciting and so the work that we put into building out the virtual event was really incredible of, you know, really producing a show in, in a different way than we did when we spoke to people, you know, live um, and interviewed them. And, and I think it's really paid off. We, our attendance was up significantly year over year. Our engagement to the event was an hour long and the average duration was 50 minutes. Uh, five zero, which was really great and actually an increase of over 20% versus last year. You know, I think we had a really nice balance sharing the insights and the research that we're really excited about, but also blending that with, you know, fun video that kind of shows what happened in the year of entertainment, certainly related to the insights, as well as talking to a couple of both entertainers, but also really influencers and and Rachel Bloom and Kevin Smith, who had a really unique angle on how media is evolving and changing, which I thought was also really interesting. So, and we did some quizzing and some trivia because we find that 
a lot of people come to fandom to get facts so that they can, you know, settle a bar bet, for example. So we've definitely leaned into trivia and found that people really respond to that on platforms. So that was, you know, a fun interactive element to bring to the program as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I thought it was really awesome. I, I hope you attended and you did too. Um, we did, you know, we always do, again, because of my background in research, you know, surveys to understand how things went, how satisfied the attendees were, um, what we can learn for next year. And 80% were satisfied and 75% have a more favorable view of fandom, which was great. I think most exciting to me is that 48% said that the event taught them something new. And 45% said that they understood consumers better, which is really what we're trying to do here is, is use all of the data that we have, especially in this really interesting time, especially with the benefit of having trending data from before COVID, which in some ways was just luck to have that kind of pre-look at how fans were consuming media prior to COVID and then how things have really changed and evolved. And we, you know, we, we learned some really interesting things and we were able to share that with our partners and they learned from that, right? So to us, that is success. And we'll continue to take that out. We certainly have deep dives into different areas, different categories that we'll be sharing with our partners in the coming months as well. So this is kind of the tip of the iceberg, if you will, for kind of sharing this out. We do other reports like state of streaming, state of gaming, where we dive deeper into different categories through more in-depth research as well. So it's really annual, but the, you know, an ongoing, but state of fandom is, is a great moment in time to say, you know, here is a summary of everything that happened this year and really educate. Research for me is gold as well. I like, I love research and that's what we try to do as well at SADP with the state of everything as, as you guys are doing as well. But um, one of the things as well from the event that I took, which was what I wanted to ask you, there's a few points. One of them was around the research that was uncovered. It was talking more about how fans wanted the 360 degree experience. Basically wanted to also dive more into TV and movies and games that they love sort of all at once. Like, can you speak more about that research for our audience who haven't maybe heard or weren't at the event and how they can benefit from that? Yeah, of course. You know, we found last year that as people went into shelter in place and they had more time on their hands and also <laughs> many times throughout the year, we're really looking to escape and to le to be in any world <laughs> other than this one. You know, we saw them really kind of expanding the types of content that they were consuming and going really broad that paired with the fact that, productions were shutting down, new content wasn't coming out, meant that people were kind of going, you know, deeper into old shows that they maybe hadn't seen that had been on their list for a long time, or maybe even pushing past the boundaries of their, you know, comedy interests or sci-fi interests, for example, to go into different genres and explore a little bit more. This year, we really saw people kind of narrowing back in on the things that they loved. More content was coming out certainly as well, but we saw people really kind of narrowing back in and going deeper instead of broad. And so, you know, what that meant was spending more time with 
the franchises that they really love a lot more, you know, 51% increase in companion experiences, for example. So being on fandom while watching a show, while playing a game, really getting in deep. We also saw some interesting explorations going beyond the content itself and going towards like fan theories and fan lore. So really kind of unlocking those storylines and creating even more content around the fandoms that they love digitally, which was super interesting and reimagining them. Mm -hmm. So for example, our fan theory pages saw 63% increase year over year and our fandoms fan fiction wiki saw 37% year over year increase. So it's basically kind of expanding the universes and franchises that they love. Interesting. I guess with everything now that's coming to play, one of the things that was surprising to me that I also picked up on was it was mentioned that 70% of fans are ready to go back to past experience. They see that they're trying to focus on less as well, not more, and but more quality and even are trying to focus on more of the past experiences. Why do you think that's happening? And, you know, you know, there's been also the news, maybe your research hasn't factored this in, but obviously there was the news around Facebook and trying to focus, which is now meta and, and their focus on the metaverse and that subcultures, you know, rising and emerging. Is that something maybe that your research didn't factor that in? Or is that something you can speak to about why the, maybe that's not being considered given that people are now trying to focus on less new experiences and more past experiences? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a combination of factors. Number one, I think, and having just, you know, had some in-person holiday parties and being able to actually connect with people in person, you get a little bit of a taste of that. And you remember how nice it is to see people and celebrate with people in person. It's different, right? And I think, especially for people who have been to you know, many of the cons and all of the emerging, you know, new fan experiences that have started where you can kind of like live inside and interact inside the imagined world that you love. It's a really great way to experience and it's a really great way to connect with people and just get out of the house. So I think some of that is right now, you know, and I, I don't know if it'll be long term or, sh or short term. But I think right now people are looking for something different and the something different right now is actually the things that were the same as the things they used to do before COVID, which was getting back out there and, and going to live experiences. And that's why I think we see the 70% ready to go back to, you know, live experiences. We did though have, you know, about half of fans who remain interested in a combination of virtual and in-person experiences. So I do think, I think there's a lot of companies that have done some really interesting things with virtual experiences. And, you know, at first when COVID started, it was literally just trying to take like an event that normally happened on stage and literally just tape the panel and put it online. Like there was nothing, you know, interactive about it, you know, nothing that made people feel like they were there, you know, going to the booth. It was really just taking kind of the panel presentations and putting them online. That was not a very immersive um, way to experience a con and didn't really mimic that experience in any way. I think they've definitely gotten better. And I also think that, you know, for people who 
weren't able to go to, you know, Comic-Con in San Diego, for example, because they, you know, weren't willing to pay to fly there or they couldn't make it work with their family, whatever it may be. All of a sudden, they were able to have access to something that they didn't have access to before. So, you know, it, it opens that up as, wow, this is what this is about. And, you know, it, there's not the same comparison to an in real life experience that they hadn't had. And so for them, that's still a meaningful experience. So I do think we'll see a continuation of virtual experiences and probably a lot of hybrid experiences as well. You know, if done right, kind of giving a taste for even what the people in the virtual experiences are missing to make them to create that wantedness, right, to go live and to go next year and to kind of separate that experience out because it's more expensive. Um, but I, I do think that these cons will be exploring new ways to bring in, you know, other audiences and they've been able to run the traps a bit on that. And so we will see, you know, a continuation of hybrid. But I'm personally excited to see interest in these live experiences again because I do think the immersion and the experience is just it's just different you know we'll see what the metaverse is is able to do I just read something by like Tim Armstrong you know it's like that's great it's like 10 years off you know I think we'll see I, I remember the time everyone was talking about connected TVs and connected TVs and connected TVs and this was like in 2006 and I don't think we really saw that come to fruition for a really long time where people actually made the transition it's scale. So we'll see. I do think you'll have a lot of early adopters. And I think, you know, you're already seeing a lot of brands building out worlds in the metaverse. But, you know, we'll see if that, if it feels, if it truly feels the same. I'm excited to see, you know, as the technology gets better, which I think it's getting better at a very fast pace, how that fits into the ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. Final point about the report and the findings that was presented in the event as well. Was there anything that that maybe the audience can know as well that you that is constantly being monitored throughout every year? That's you can speak to as well and, and how that sort of evolves throughout these past couple of years since running the event. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the other things that we've really seen emerge was, you know, I think people right now are looking for ways to connect. We were just talking about events and I think that's a real place to connect both with the IP or the franchises and also with other people who are just as passionate about it as they are. So I think kind of raises the level of energy and excitement in a really meaningful way. But we're seeing people kind of crave and seek out those connections within the world digitally as well. So I'll give you an example, uh, relationship pages on our platform. So Ross and Rachel are a very famous relationship from friends. And that, that page around the relationship of Ross and Rachel outranks both of their individual character pages. Um, and I think some of this might have to do with the fact that, you know, it's an older series. And so people are continuing to dig in and diving deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because they love it. And there's no new episodes coming out. Um, but I also think people are really like connecting the dots, you know, across the IP of 
trying to find new connections, trying to find bits and pieces that they didn't notice before, you know, the history, the lore and connecting those dots. And we see that also kind of in these cross franchise communities that we have that are really popular, like heroes and villains communities. And, you know, you asked about like discover and recirculation, and this is like a real way where it's not just about a character. It's about a group of characters. It's not about a season. It's about like a specific arc throughout seasons. It's not just about like that episode, but how that episode connects to another episode in another franchise. And I think we're seeing all of those pieces come together as well as we see people going deeper and uh, and kind of across is also just kind of a really interesting trend in fandom that we've been noticing. Interesting. No, I think that that totally makes sense. And I think people like very much cherry pick content as well and, and videos and that experience now that totally validates what you're saying as well. I mean, has that also spun off in looking at novel fandoms as well, or even people creating their own type of fandom, which then people pick up on as a mini trend or like a emerging trends? Does that breed into other fandoms and other things that maybe people then consume? And how do you think that sort of germinates and grows? Yeah, I do. I mean, one of the things that we notice and that we've been digging really deep into, because I think it has a lot of implications and applications, is book fandoms. They've always had, you know, a lot of book wikis and book series wikis and books series in general have a lot more like content than a TV show, certainly a movie or even a series of movies. The books are usually more complex and, and deeper. And some book series have, you know, 20 different books in the series. So there's just a tremendous amount of content um, in these book communities. And what we've seen lately with the streamers all trying to uh, compete for users and to retain them is, you know, as you've seen, you've seen with the valuation of some of these production companies being super high is like they're desperate to find content and they're desperate to find hits and to create hits. The a lot of these books, for example, like Dune, Foundations, Wheel of Time actually Bridgerton as well, some that you, you don't even like know our books. The fandoms and the, the, the communities on fandom have already been huge. There's already a ton of content and, you know, millions of people visiting. And so for us, why that's interesting is in, we kind of have a unique read on what's going to resonate with fans as these stream, you know, as Amazon's developing Wheel of Time, for example, we know what plot lines have gotten the most traction and the most heat. We know what characters are resonating, right? They have really unique information as well as even understanding what book series are popular, right? And why and among different, you know, certain demographics. So that's one that we've been watching really closely and we feel like we have a lot to learn from and certainly to share insights with our partners to help as they, you know, green light new shows and then develop them. We also have seen a lot of YouTube shows, shows that are more obscure, less mainstream, you know, not necessarily high quality production in the same way as what you see on the streaming providers become bigger, like hell of a boss, which takes place in hell is one of our top 10 shows of the year 
So, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then we see some super niche. We have some really interesting super niche communities. Like one is called Hypothetical Tornadoes, um, which was trending this year. And creators create imagined tornadoes. And then the users vote on them to see which tornadoes are going to generate the most speed and potential destruction, which is super interesting. So it's, again, kind of bringing that lore to real life situations in a mm. unique way. Is it just simply like having the opportunity to find like-minded people that sort of those type of like the tornado continent group? Is it because they've found um, people that are interested in that that sort of caused that to be more popular? Or how do you think these type of uh, new and novel fandoms to merge more into creating more richer experiences is playing a part in um, growing the audience? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, fandom, you know, we say fandom's a platform for every fan. And that means a lot of things um, in terms of like inclusivity and safety, but it also means that you may not find, you know, Unlike uh, Ted Lasso, which is, you know, a really huge hit, which I love very much, where I can walk across the street and find someone who's a fan of Ted Lasso and will talk to me about it. I actually think with the more niche fandoms, the desire to, number one, like let people know about it, like write about it, document it is much stronger. Like I feel that way with shows that I stumble across that I haven't heard about from someone. I'm like, I want, I want this to be popular. I want it to be renewed. You know, I want this to continue to live. I want other people to experience this because I love it so much. Right. And and that's what we see around these things, especially where they're more niche is they're not connecting with people across the street or, you know, even at their office, but, but by, you know, creating a wiki on fandom and having other people come and consume and enjoy that content who are also loving that thing, you know, three countries away is a way to really, you know, build a community and be able to celebrate something that you love when you wouldn't be able to do that without fandom. So I think that's where we see a lot of these you know, rise up and drive traction because these people in particular are in search of community that they don't have in their everyday lives. Well, I hope that fandom continues to foster that. With that in mind, Stephanie, I guess let's pivot back a little bit to the audience of other stuff as well. Is there anything within the gaming, TV, entertainment aspect that you can share with our audience on how you've been able to drive audience growth, any highs or lows you could share? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that where we can add and drive value for fans is in the things that are our, you know, unique selling props where we have kind of differentiation. And one of the things that we do really well is we break things down into tons of different facts and details and pieces. And we're able to bring some really interesting insights to life. We also do a lot with, because our platform, you know, when you go and you look at Michael Scott, you know, from the office, you know, you go to Wikipedia and it says, Michael Scott is a character on the office. If you go to fandom, Michael Scott was born in, you know, 1949. And, you know, he is a real person, right? It's a real world. Um, And so sometimes we bring these 
real worlds on fandom, which are, you know, imagine worlds kind of back into real life and look at like, what would Loki, you know, be like, like, what would a psychologist say about Loki, right? And how, how would, how would a therapist work with him? So we bring these characters into real life and we find that does really well. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you, Loki is a great example, but I'll give you some examples, you know, with social and what we do there where we drive really incredible engagement or things like with King Kong, Kong versus Godzilla, we noticed that Kong had gotten much bigger um, in size and the trailers and the new movies. And so we did a comparison of that that got just really incredible engagement from, from the community on Instagram and some just really fun pictures of the difference in size just based on scale to like buildings of what Kong was in the different movies. So it's like taking those details and the actual facts and kind of bringing them to light for fans. It just fits really well with what we do. And we find it drives a lot of engagement. Same thing with Spider-Man, No Way Home, which obviously is like a a huge, you know, franchise. But we kind of dissected the trailer and all of the different pieces and what we noticed digging deep into the storyline and brought that to life in some really fun graphics and we got you know thousands of retweets and likes um, across the social platforms and same thing with um, dark side from you know Snyder Cut we really understood kind of that Snyder Cut was just a sneak preview into dark side and that we would see kind of new pieces emerge and did like a great character breakdown which drove like millions of engagements obviously a lot of interest around that as well, but anything that we can break down, bring like interesting pieces and insights, we can just go deeper than the, you know, overall kind of observations about characters and bring through some really funny, interesting, unique insights and details for fans that like to go deep. And I think that's where kind of our core differentiation is and where we've done really well in driving engagement. Do you think that other publishers are able to do the same in terms of bringing those things back to life? Or is that something that maybe they have to create more of an opinion section on? Or how do you think that that can make it more practical in their sense? Or do you think that's more of a unique, like you mentioned, uh, more of a USP for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly, you know, what we, we don't lean on, we're not writing, you know, reviews. We're not a, we're not a news platform you know we are we go deeper into the interesting details and the fun facts Um, so I actually think there's a lot of like complementary ways that you know we can work together and we have to provide some insight to people who are writing an opinion piece or a review um, to share oh actually this character who everyone you know hates is actually the most popular character right now and is trending. And we saw the spike when this happened. So I think there's a lot of ways that, you know, we can work with publishers to share data that then they can kind of go deeper on around like the hypotheses of why that is and what they may mean. So, you know, would love to work with more publishers in that way, because I think, you know, right now I read, you know, a lot of the same stories. And so, you know, having more divergent focus and deep dives, like those are the ones, those are the pieces that I really enjoy when they kind of identify a new theme or a new storyline or a new undercurrent um, that's going on. And I think we're really good at identifying 
those insights through our data and, and sharing them. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. Briefly looking ahead, what's what's some of the plans for next year? Yeah, so and we talked about this a little bit before around kind of the use case of someone coming to our platform. And a lot of the time it's because you know, they have a question, they don't remember something that happened, they're playing a game, they don't know how to kind of get to the next level of that game and they want like tips and tricks. And so they come to explore, to learn about a new franchise and we want to go deeper. You know, we want to be the fans first choice for fan community and experience. And and we want to deliver against that by letting them go even deeper. And so we're working on developing more features and functionality, but also just experience for users around their fan identity so that they can collect those pieces together. They can go deeper in the fandoms that they love. And so we're really working on building that engagement for our product development in 2022. So I'm really excited about that. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about our data um, and, you know, that being a key reason that I was also really excited to come to Phantom. I think we just have a very unique understanding of fans. And, you know, building out that team is providing kind of the foundation for us to really be able to scale that um, and to be able to bring that to life and visualizations and tools for our partners to also understand in real time the relationships between their franchises and their characters, um, bring that to life for, you know, publishing partners, even, you know, feeding it back to consumers, as I said, and really kind of always mining for those those data points. Um, so I'm excited to really take that to the next level as well. And so those are both kind of core pieces of our roadmap and our strategy for growth next year. Any plans around enabling more of those community members, like IE content creators, to better incentivize them or, or even like um, influencers? Because and the likes of you know Facebook and all those many platforms are creating content creator tools now to support those individuals. Do you have any plans around that? Yeah, we we definitely are looking at rewards. I think the you know what we've found, you know, our creators are a little bit different in that you know, and this might be like a broad generalization, but a lot of you know creators on. YouTube or Facebook, Instagram are influencers who want to make a career out of giving advice to people and talking to people and becoming, you know, the kind of source of content, becoming the publisher, right? Or becoming the source of reviews or becoming the person that tells you how to exercise or you know, replacing like a, you know, a big service in your life. The creators on our platform are less interested in that as a, as a career. They're interested in documentation. They're interested in archiving. They're interested in making sure that content around their fandoms is, is accurate and is canon. 
And so we've found that the incentives and the things that they're looking for are actually very different in terms of, you know, their their goal isn't to grow followers, you know, their goal is to provide, you know, great information and service to other fans like them to create bigger fans. So within that, you know, we are working to understand, you know, like, for example, like new tools and features and yeah. like making something easier for them from an editing perspective or a maps, which is a tool that helps them kind of diagram and connect all of the characters within a franchise. Like those are the things that they want us to invest in. Um, and we are. So we're kind of figuring out that balance and how we basically create the best experience for them to keep them engaged and involved and working with us. Like we really value their opinion, you know, on they are fans, they're super fans. Um, and what resonates with them is, is what we want to build and develop. So I think we partner with them also a lot more closely on the kind of development of the platform and where we're going as a business. Very lucky to have them, people like them who are dedicated to archiving and everything else. Do you have any final comments or thoughts about anything else that maybe I haven't asked you upon or a little bit more of the direction of fandom or what lies ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one thing we talked about a little bit but didn't go into a ton of detail is, you know, how the fan experience is changing, what this kind of 360 means and how the creators of content, the creators of these worlds can dive deeper and you know, continue to evolve the relationship with fans. And I think that, you know, what certainly what we've learned and what we've seen on our platform, as we discussed, is that people are looking to go a lot deeper. People have certain fandoms that they love and, you know, haven't been exploring as much outside of that, but instead kind of digging back in and trying to like get those new kernels and insights and things. And I think we've also seen that live out in, franchises and spinoffs and the success of those. And obviously content developers are leaning into that a lot more, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that, which is more expansion of those worlds. So whether it's Netflix creating stranger things games, for example, so that people who love stranger things have another way to experience that, whether we see it through live events, whether we see it through merchandise, whether we see it through, you know, things that you can buy in the metaverse, I do think that that's going to continue to expand. Like people want to have other things to play around with. They want other pieces of content. They want pieces that they can connect to their identity because they're such a true fan. And the more that brands can lean into that um, and the overall fan experience, I think the better, you know, we, I, you know, mentioned that I worked in the Olympics and one of the challenges that we always had is people would watch for 16 days and then they wouldn't watch again for two years until, you know, the next Olympics and they kind of lost that thread. And it was like, how do we bring people back? Like, how do we people keep people connected to gymnastics and to the Olympic spirit when there isn't an Olympics game? And I think, you know, when I was at NBC, it was the same thing. It was like, okay, you know, we had 30 rock um, or heroes you know, when it was off, you know, off the air, right? It wasn't, you know, September to May. How do we keep people involved? And I think we started to see that change when we started, you know, streaming full episodes and things. But I think right now is a real opportunity to keep that alive 
right? To keep that alive through all of these extensions and experiences in a really meaningful way and like retain those fans in these universes. So I, I think it's an opportunity. I think a lot of brands are doing it already, but I would certainly recommend continuing to do that, continuing to think about how you can keep these phantoms alive for people who never want them to go away. They never want the show to go off air. Like how, how can you keep that alive in other ways and other experiences I think will be important. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen that as well, particularly for podcasting, like companion podcasts. So like when there's a series of theme or series, like to have a companion content on their website or companion content everywhere else. So and I think that's definitely something that's come from offline to online and, and hopefully that, People, like you said, people realize and they invest and commit to that as well. Stephanie, with that, I guess, very diverse, very deep in our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you. This was a great conversation. I loved it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.